and welcome to the Unveiled Podcast, where we discuss all things related to women to help us think Christianly in every area of life. I'm Sandy, and Susie and I are back together to talk about spiritual strength. Susie has a passion for theology, biblical counseling, and ministry to women, and I have a background in education and music. Happy New Year to our listeners, and Happy New Year to you, Susie. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Happy New Year to you, Sandy. Thank you. Thank you. And I love that we're both sitting here. We both got Christmas mugs. Yes. And actually, they're not Christmas mugs, but we got them for Christmas. So we're both drinking our favorite hot drink here. And they're both the same matching mugs. We've got matching mugs. It's so fun. I love it. We'll have to take a picture. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just very quickly, what are you most looking forward to in 2024? What am I most looking forward to? Uh, I should have thought about this. What am I most looking forward to? You know, yes, I do have some goals. So every year I kind of think through what do I want to accomplish? What do I want God to do in my life? What is my focus supposed to be? And really what my focus this year, that the two words that are really standing out to me are pondering and satisfied. Mm. And pondering came to me as I was reading, um, preparing for, for Christmas and reading through the Christmas narrative and it just struck me how Mary is a woman who pondered all these things in her heart. Mm. And I thought how valuable that is to, to be a reflective person, especially in a world where we are so focused on productive, being productive and, and doing so many things. And I can get caught up in that, right? Like I, I like to get a lot done and I, I can put a lot in my schedule and I have a lot of goals and dreams and ambitions and ideas. And they get me very excited And yet it's so important just to be able to sit back and ponder the things that the Lord is doing around me. And so I I thought that would be a good one to have. And then the other one, of course, is satisfied. And that comes from the Bible study that we're going to be doing in our women's study. And it's not that I sense that I have a lack of being satisfied in life, but I know that this study will really look to the, the heart and really draw out what's going on in each of our hearts. And I know that the Lord continues need to need uh, continues to do and need to do uh, a redemptive work in my life. And I want him to do everything that he needs to do so that I truly can say I am satisfied in him. He is my sufficient savior. And um, no matter what happens, I am satisfied in him. And so that's, that's kind of what I'm looking forward to. Um, particularly uh, thinking that's how God's going to work in my life. What that will look like exactly, I don't know. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. What about you, Sandy? I should have thought about this too. <laughs> I'm So I'm currently working on a theology exam. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking forward to the finish line of that. Um, and I'm learning a lot in the process. It's been, it's been a real growth um, activity actually so yeah yeah that can the continuation of learning just doesn't stop um so i'm i am looking forward to to pursuing that and after that there's the counseling exam so yeah just just growing in my knowledge of scripture and the lord and um you know i was thinking about my my oldest the twins just turned 14 and I look at them, and I know that time is fleeting mm, with them mm-hmm. living, you know, in the same house as us. So 
I think this year I really want to be intentional in discipling and pouring into all, all of my kids um, spiritually and, and just building that foundation um, as much as possible this mm-hmm. year. I think, mm-hmm. I think that is my, those are my goals. Good. Sounds, yeah. sounds really good. And I know from having written the theology exam and the counseling exam in preparation to be certified as a biblical counselor, I, I'm excited for you and the few others that are doing this because I think it's so, so valuable to be able to put into words the things that we believe and to really have to think through what does the Bible mm-hmm. actually say about some of these significant doctrines that we're somewhat familiar with, but we have to know them well enough to be able to communicate them. And then not only that, we also have to apply them. And that's where the the counseling exam comes in, right? The practical part Mm -hmm. of that. And so I just think it's such a valuable thing for everybody to to participate in. And so I'm excited for you and for the others, because as much as I know it takes a lot of time and it takes focus and it, it, it's it's challenging it's also so good and it will never you will never regret it it will definitely benefit you your family and anyone that you are in Mm -hmm. contact with right and that you're ministering to so yeah Mm -hmm. it'll be hard work but it'll be good so i'm excited for you too yeah all right well we are starting a new series and this is episode one of our spiritually strong series And we want to discuss spiritual deception and genuine faith today. And these are some heavy topics. And I've been really thinking about how many are being deceived in the church, thinking that they're, that they are saved either by works or maybe by saying the sinner's prayer one time. Um, But those aren't magic words that can save a person. So Susie, could you explain why God allows deception? Yeah. I can't say I have a complete and perfect and full answer for that, but I think part of it is to really help bring about his glory by really making a clear distinction between true believers and false believers, Um, making a clear distinction between uh, the truth and falsehood by making a a clear distinction between what is right and what is wrong in in all areas right and it it really is first of all for his glory but also to help us to be spiritually strong because we want to be spiritually strong but if we think that it's easy and we're complacent about what we believe and how we live we will not be strong. But if we actually recognize that there is deception out there and that we are vulnerable to that, it it kind of puts us on edge, not in a bad way, but in Mm -hmm. a good way to say, okay, I need to continue to be transforming my life. I need to continue to to dive into God's word and to listen to his spirit so that I don't fall into that kind of complacency so that I'm not deceived and led astray. I know when I was a younger Christian, this concept really frightened me. And I don't think it's um, meant to frighten us. But at that point, I hadn't developed my knowledge to be truly able to discern truth from error in many ways. I didn't have the maturity to really have confidence in my faith. And I didn't really have the depth to really understand the Spirit's role in my life. And so the thought of being deceived was, was so frightful because I thought, like, how do I know? How do I know I'm not one of the deceived? Mm. 
Uh, but what it did, it did force me to dig deeper into scripture. It caused me to really ask tough questions and discern why I believe the things that I, I do and not just depend on the things that I was always told. And um, I, I just really allowed scripture to start transforming me. I spent a lot of time reading, memorizing, reflecting on scripture. And it wasn't an overnight confidence that I gained, but with time, it did give me the confidence and the skills to be able to help me to discern truth from error. And so there are still times when I hear something and initially it might sound good or there might be little bits and pieces that sound good, but something makes me feel uncomfortable. And for some people that makes them feel uncomfortable to think that, oh, like, Sometimes we feel uncomfortable with truth and we don't really know um, and we can't necessarily detect immediately what the error in it is. But I think it's actually a good thing because it forces us to to stop, to pause, to dig into God's word and to search for answers that maybe we wouldn't look for if we hadn't felt that uncomfortable feeling. And so I would say, don't be afraid of those uncomfortable feelings, but don't ignore them either. Mm-hmm. Go and ask the questions that need to be asked. Be a lifelong student of the word and God will continue to work in your life and to give you truth. And that's also part of the reason why we are called not to be isolated, but to be part of a community of faith, right? Because if we're isolated and we get stuck in our own thoughts, our own fears and our own doubts or questions, how do we know that we're actually answering things properly? Uh, But if we're in a community, a Bible-believing community where there are elders who have been called to guard and protect the church and to teach the truth, and there is a plurality of elders where they are keeping each other accountable, we, we can have confidence, right? And and when there are in agreeance and and it we have that peace that they are also speaking truth, there's a confidence that grows in that we're not isolated and left to our own thoughts and fears or, or questions, but we have people that we can go to, trusted people who might know more about God's word, might have done more more studies, have been in the word longer. And, um, and they can teach us in, and help us to understand the tough questions or maybe just affirm the things that we, we already thought were true. But when we see that it, it's being affirmed, it gives us confidence as well. And so, yeah, it, it, it can be a scary thing, especially for newer believers or younger believers. But don't sit there. Keep studying. Keep searching. And uh, God will reveal that to you. God is not a God of confusion. He's not a God of doubt. That's Satan's work. And so we can be sure that as we seek out his truth, he will reveal it to us. Thanks, Susie. That's just reminding me of a of a verse in Isaiah. I'm trying to find it quickly here. Um, oh, dear. Um, oh, boy. I, I think it's in Isaiah 1 or 2. Oh, it says, uh, come, let us reason together. Mm. I, I can't find it exactly, but it's at the beginning of Isaiah, and it's the Lord's invitation to Isaiah, come, let us reason together. And yeah. I, I remember reading that at the beginning of the pandemic, and it was just it, just so reassuring. Like, we we need people to, to talk things out. And when you were mm-hmm. talking about the plurality of elders, yes, you got to reason some things out. and. And it's good. It's good. God yeah. wants us to do that. So, 
Yeah. Yeah. Every Sunday really is like a, a reshaping. Mm-hmm. And I know my husband's described it almost as if, um, you know, there is obviously church discipline that takes place in the life of a, a, a Christian that continues to live in sin and the church has to go after them and confront them and call them to repentance. But every Sunday is, is like a, um, a mini form of that. As mm-hmm. we come back to God's word, we gather with God's people and we hear that truth. We're, we're being shaped and, and brought back into, mm. into righteous living. And if we have strayed, whether it's our emotions or our thoughts or our beliefs, we can be brought back to the truth, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so every Sunday, or every time that we meet with our small groups or our Bible studies should be be that, where we're brought back in line with God's truth so that we can continue to live correctly before it's too late and we're, you know, off right. on our own and fallen deep into some form of deception. Yeah. Mm. We do. We stray so quickly, too. Yeah. So there is deception everywhere. It's in the media. You know, our government sometimes deceives us. Um and those who are caught up in deception don't know that they're being deceived. Do you think there's a difference between refusing to believe plain truth when it's in front of you and wholeheartedly believing something that is untrue? So these are some good things to think about. And um, I think we have to recognize that whether you're refusing to believe or whether you just are deceived and naive about it, Both are dangerous positions to be in, and you don't want to be in either of those positions. But there's those unbelievers who um, refuse to believe, and there's unbelievers who are deceived. And so, sadly, we have to acknowledge that both of them are on their way to hell if they don't repent. And then there are those who claim to be believers. And uh, even within this realm, there are believers who... um, are just stubborn, hard-hearted. They re- re- refuse to believe certain truths. They don't even want to research it. They're just stuck in their ways. And, um, you know, that's an interesting thing. We're going to talk about that in a bit. And then there's also those believers who who claim to be believers, but they're deceived. They're the kind of people that maybe grew up in some sort of a liberal faith. They think they're okay, um, but they're very deceived, or maybe maybe they have the basic knowledge of of Christ and salvation, but they're very deceived in a lot of other doctrines. And so let's let's talk about these things a little bit. So first of all, there are those who think that they are believers, but they don't actually know or believe the gospel, and so they are not born again. They have received a certain amount of Bible or a certain amount of Jesus, but they have not received the full Jesus. And this is super dangerous because these kind of people are not looking to be saved. They're probably part of our church. They might even be serving in our churches because they they like Jesus and they like the church and they might be good moral people, but they don't actually fully understand the gospel and yet because they're part of the church no one is intentionally evangelizing them they're not intentionally looking for the gospel but what they really need is the gospel and um, these are the kind of people that don't know how to actually articulate what it means to be born again right they know how to be good moral people they know uh, how to to serve and be be selfless but it's not about Jesus, and it's not about a transformed life. It's about a moral life. 
And then there's those who who claim to be believers, but they're they're deceived, and uh, they might be truly born again. But maybe this is the person that's young in her faith, and she's had bad role models, or she goes to a church that is weak in in her te- in their teaching, or they have false teaching, and she just hasn't developed the skill or the discernment yet. And many times, Christians will get saved. They'll get ch- saved in a church that shares the gospel. But the church doesn't really know how to develop them or to, to help them in the, their, their discipleship or uh, teach them about sanctification. And and they might get nice sermons on a Sunday, but not sermons that actually bring about life change. And so to this person, I would just say, once again, the person's deceived, doesn't necessarily know that there's a lot of areas of her life that she doesn't fully understand or that she might be wrong in her theology or weak in her theology. But I just encourage all believers, stay in God's word, be in prayer, and listen to the Spirit. If the Spirit is making you feel uncomfortable about something in your life, maybe it's you're uncomfortable about a, a teaching that your church has, or maybe you're uncomfortable about a Bible study that you're part of, or, or maybe it's something that's happening within the church. Don't ignore that. If you're uncomfortable, don't run away right away. But once again, do the research that is necessary. Go to God's Word. Even before you go to another podcast or before you read another book, go to God's word and see what God's word says. God's word is powerful and it's truth and you you can rely on it and see what God's word says. And if the Bible studies or the, the, the church or podcasts or other sermons that you're listening to do not match or line up with God's word, avoid them. Mm-hmm. Stick with God's word, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, of course, I'm in no way promoting church hopping. I, I think that's not going to help you to become a, a strong and consistent Christian. Um, I think way too many people leave the very first time they get upset or offended or disagree with something in the church. But um, so don't leave right away. Try to resolve things, especially if you're uh, planning to leave a church because of an interpersonal conflict like go to that person and resolve that conflict don't run away too quickly but if there's teaching and that teaching is going to stay go go to a church that actually teaches the truth Um, if you're part of a church that has weak teaching and every Sunday that you go to church you're just getting fluffed up and encouraged there's never any conviction there's never any call for repentance or obedience then maybe you need to think twice about that as well just know that if you're not being challenged at church if you're never feeling uncomfortable if you're never even feeling offended at church you're probably not going to grow and that will actually stunt you and your family Hmm. in matthew 24 verse 24 it says for false christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders so as to mislead if possible even the elect Will these miracles and prophecies be so convincing that believers will be deceived, Susie? Well, I I believe that believers can be temporarily deceived, but 
true believers will not stay deceived on the core issues. Obviously, there's minor issues like non-salvation type issues that we uh, disagree with. And so there's different churches that might have different beliefs on maybe some of the more charismatic gifts or even uh, roles within the church. And as much as we might be very convinced that we are speaking the truth, there can be other believers in those churches, true believers, even if we believe what, you know, some of these lesser issues, Mm -hmm. the things that they believe are wrong and false. But when it comes to salvation and the key issues, true believers will not be, be deceived. They might have a have temporary doubts, they might have temporary questions or miscommunication, but they won't stay deceived. And so I think I think it's important that we look at the context of this passage as well. So I'm just going to turn here to Matthew 24. And as I was reading some of the verses that came before that one verse, uh, I was just noticing a few things. Mm. Um, so let's look here. So Matthew 24... And you read from verse 24. 24. And, um, you know, just touching down on some of these passages, it says uh, about Jesus, he sat on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed for you or for this must take place. But the end is not yet for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And these are but the beginning of birth pangs. And so here we see that Jesus is foretelling of the end of the age. He is warning them of tribulation. He's warning them of death and being hated by all nations for for Jesus' sake. And he warns them, even as we continue in that passage, that many will be led astray and that they will end up betraying those who have stood for truth and hating them. So let's just keep reading here. It says uh, in verse 9 of chapter 24, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole land whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come and so i think what jesus is trying to accomplish is here is just to really warn the disciples of of what is to come and to to warn of the fact that they will be betrayed and um you know if you're standing for truth people will betray you people will hate you. There will be false prophets that rise up and try to lead you astray. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be aware of that. We have to be prepared for that. Mm -hmm. And yes, there will be those in the church or those who have claimed to be believers that will follow. But what that does, it doesn't mean that they have lost their salvation. It means that they never truly understood in the first place. And it reminds us of Judas, right? He was one of Jesus' disciples. He followed Jesus and he saw all the miracles that Jesus did. He was in Jesus' inner circle 
but he never really got it. He was in it for himself, right? Mm -hmm. He was in it for his own personal gain. And, you know, I'm sure there was times when Judas himself probably thought he was a true disciple. But in the end, it showed that he was just in it for his own selfish Mm -hmm. gain. And uh, so here, I think these passages just really show us that we need to be self-discerning and to continue to be people who who regularly discern our own motives mm-hmm. and discern what we ourselves are believing so that we can quickly repent of, of sinful ways and uh, compromising ways and stand firm and to be ready to say, I am willing to die for the name of Jesus and to be prepared for that, that that day could come where we have to be willing to die. And those tests, they come in small forms, right? And I think they start with little things. Uh, Maybe it's an opportunity to compromise at work. Will you compromise or will you stand firm? Or will you compromise in a relationship or in a family context? And I think all of us have failed, right? We, mm-hmm. we failed, oh, yeah. and that shouldn't cause us to fall into despair and fear, thinking that we aren't true believers, but let's learn from that and mm-hmm. say, okay, I failed. Lord, forgive me, but help me to do better next time. Help me to be courageous and to to put away any selfish gain that I have in my life for the reason why I go to church or the reason why that I serve in the church or the reason why I share the gospel or whatever I do. If there's any selfish motive, Lord, help me to put that aside. And um, so, yeah, we do have many trials. And when we fail, let's repent and make the necessary correctives so that the next time we can be courageous and the next time we can be faithful. And so, yeah, there is there is truth. Some will be deceived and some will walk away. But what it does, it shows they truly weren't born again in the first place. They weren't true followers of Jesus Christ. But uh, those of us who are, we have confidence because we have the Spirit of God in our lives that affirms our faith in us, that gives us the courage to do the right thing, that convicts us of our sin, who teaches us in the truth, and who is continuing to sanctify us and transform us. And so we don't have to live in fear, but we do want to be living regular lives of discernment in our own lives and making correctives as we need to. Mm. Yeah. And I love in verse six, it says, see that you are not alarmed, right? We don't have to, I mean, any one of these things that you read about is cause for panic really from a worldly perspective, but yeah, true believers, we, we have the foundation of Christ and how kind that we have these warnings that we, <laughs> that we can know what to expect. So yeah, that stood out to me. Thanks, Susie. Um, we've, we've heard stories of parents who were at their wits end with their children who end up throwing up their hands and saying, fine, have it your way, see how it goes. And I know I've been <laughs> tempted to do this at times and probably on a small scale, I've done this. Um, what we read in Romans is pretty horrifying. Romans chapter 1, verses 24 and 26 says that God gave them up, and in verse 28, that he gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Reading these verses it drives me to prayer, a prayer for my family and for myself even. And we've seen people leave the faith 
who continue living a sinful lifestyle and end up having um, a disdain or even a hatred for the things of God, what warning signs are there within the church before someone falls away to this point? Yeah, there is definitely several warning signs. And so once again, if you recognize any of these in your own life or in a loved one's life, uh, I encourage you to be very prayerful about that. And, you know, in your own life, make the changes and, and be different. Don't stay the same. Don't just say, oh, well, that's just the way I am or don't excuse it, but take heed. And if you see any of these warning signs in your loved one's lives, go and warn them and call them back. Do that out of love because we've seen it so many times and so many times when people leave the church or leave the faith, um, there's just patterns in their lives that we see. And when we've been in the church long enough, you you see it and it hurts to see other people following those patterns and you see it coming and and you try to stop it and sometimes you just can't um and that's just a reminder that we we aren't god we can't we don't have the power to save people Mm -hmm. but we do have god's truth that we can warn people and we have experience where we can see patterns and so i would say one of the big things in a person's life is when they don't love the church they don't love god's bride Instead, they grumble against the church, they speak negatively against the church, they live independently, they they have no value for being in community, they think it's just me and God doing my own thing. Mm. That's a, a, definitely a sign. Um, living in sin is another sign, right? Like where they're comfortable and they don't feel conviction, where they don't want to change, they're, they love their sin more than they love God. Even discontentment. And as much as in some ways we can look at discontentment and say, well, isn't everybody discontent sometimes? Well, well, maybe, but we, if we look at uh, the Old Testament and we see the Israelites and how God really even punished people for their discontentment and their grumbling, and we see that in the Exodus, right, when the Egyptian or the Israelites left Egypt and how they grumbled against God, they, they were severely punished for that, right? So discontentment, it's not something just to say, oh, well, everybody has it. No, it's serious. So if if you're struggling with discontentment, we need to change that. And, of course, that makes me think Pastor Chris just preached a great sermon on thankfulness Mm. from Psalm 107. So Mm -hmm. if you um, want to know more about contentment and thankfulness, I'd encourage you to go, go to our website and find Pastor Chris's sermon on being thankful, and maybe that'll help you grow in your Um, thankfulness so that you're not a discontent person. And then another minor, it seems minor, but it's not. And that's not reading the Bible regularly or praying. How how can you grow in your faith? How can you say you have a relationship with God if you have no interest in reading his word or praying, right? Like to have a relationship with someone means you have communication and you spend time. And if we're not doing that with God, how can we, we say we love him? And um, another sign is loving the things of the world more than loving God. First Timothy 6.10 talks about how the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And we see that in a, in a world where we have access to so much. And we, we are wealthy people compared to what even 20, 30 years ago people were living. We, we have access to so much more. But do we love that more than we love the things of God? And we have to be careful there. And then secondly, it's it's fake people and people pleasers, people who are more concerned about what 
people think rather than what God thinks. And once again, I think this is uh, pretty common. And we can excuse it because all of us have, don't all of us, right, have some sort of an insecurity and, and fear of what other people think. Well, well, I think it is a very common sin, but that doesn't mean it's okay or normal. It's something we need to deal with and, and choose to say, no, I'm, I'm not a people pleaser. I'm a God pleaser. And to repent of that. And uh, so I just want to encourage all of us. I'm sure the list could go on, but uh, if we have fallen into these traps, let's, you know, the answer is not to give up and just to say, well, I guess I'm not really saved. I can just live however I want. No, make the correctives, repent of your sin and ask God to help you and be encouraged in knowing that um, the Lord is so good. He is long suffering. He is patient. Second Peter 3, 9 says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some counsel and but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And so just know that in this world, uh, Jesus is so patient. And if you have any doubt, I encourage you to actually t- spend some time in uh, the Old Testament and specifically in the prophetic books. I know our Women's Bible Study um, a year or so ago did uh, a study in the book of Isaiah, and we're just about to start a book, uh, a study in the book of Jeremiah. And as much as some people might find those books to be very complicated or um question like are they even relevant for us today i think we learn so much about god from those those books and we see how long suffering he is he we see how he is so filled with mercy and he is so filled with grace and he is so loving towards his people and he's calling them to repent and he really does long to to bless them and uh it's, it's just amazing and i i personally have a few favorite passages of scripture from those specific books. And I'll just share a couple of them. Isaiah 32, 16 to 18 says, then, then justice will dwell in the wilderness and righteousness abide in the fruitful field. And the effect of righteousness will be peace and the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. My people will abide in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings and in resting places. And that is God's promise after they have repented and turned back. And then we also see uh, where uh, this is found in Jeremiah 31. And uh, this is where he says, Then they shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion, and they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, the wine, and the oil. And we know that in the Old Testament, those are promises or those are um the blessings that people get from living righteously and over the young of the flock and the herd, their life shall be like a watered garden and they shall languish no more. Then shall the young woman rejoice in the dance and the young man and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I will feast the soul of the priests with abundance and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness declares the Lord. And that's Jeremiah 31, 12 to 14. And so those are just promises of of what God will do for his people after they have turned and repented and come back to him. And we also see both in Jeremiah and in Ezekiel how God promises to give a new heart and um, to to write his law on their hearts and to give them a heart of flesh. Mm -hmm. 
And those are just beautiful promises mm-hmm. of what God will do. And so I just see so much hope, so much promise as we look at the Old Testament and specifically the prophet prophetic books and we see how God is such a, a patient God and he's so filled with mercy and so be encouraged if you have been deceived or if you are um, struggling and in wondering where you're at turn to the Lord repent and let him continue to reveal truth to you and transform you and don't stay in your deception don't stay in your complacency but allow God to do the work that he needs to do and yeah it it might hurt and it might take time and it's not going to be an overnight change and that can be scary but let him do the work that he needs to do so that you can have that peace and that satisfaction and that joy in him and so yeah that's just my encouragement and my my call to you uh, knowing who God is, knowing that he is a God who is long-suffering and he wants to transform you. Mm, amen. So how can we ensure that those that we love are truly saved? Yeah, and I think I think we have to recognize our own limitation in that. We, we don't actually have the power to make sure that people are saved. We aren't God and we can't make sure that our loved ones are saved. But we we can certainly um, be instrumental in their lives and we can be uh, disciplers. And some of that means that um, we have to first look at our own life, right? And Matthew 7, 16 to 20 warns us that it's by our fruit that they will know. Mm-hmm. And so if we are weak, if we are complacent and sinning, uh, we can't expect those who are watching us to have an authentic face, faith, right? And even if we're living in sin, we're not going to have the courage to go and confront others on their, on, on their sin. Uh, we're not going to have a really even a right. We're going to be hypocrites if we're, we're calling them to obedience when we ourselves aren't willing to be mm-hmm. obedient. So first we have to look at our own lives. And then we have to make sure that we are preaching the full gospel. And sometimes we just like to share with our loved ones um, the easy stuff, that God is loving, that he's merciful. Mm-hmm. But we also have to share with them that God is a God of wrath. And so we have to point, be willing to point out their sin. And we have to be willing to call them to repent and, and then to have faith in God. So share the full gospel, not just the parts where... Oh, he's so loving yes. and, and, you know, so good. Yep. Yeah, that is true, but he's also a God of wrath. So yep. full gospel. Yep. And then, of course, we have to be praying for them because, um, once again, we don't have the power to save them, but God does. And then also being patient, right? Um, I already read this verse, Second uh, Peter 3, 9, but God is patient. And so if God is patient, we also want to model that same kind of patience, not in the sense where we're just sitting back and saying, oh, well, I guess, you know, God's patient. I need to be patient. I'm not going to do anything mm-hmm. about it. No, be intentional, mm-hmm. but also be patient. Don't don't push them towards something um, just to get them to say, yeah, I'm saved and pray the prayer and not really mean it. Mm-hmm. Let's urgently and with great um you know, with a great sense of urgency, call them to repent and to ensure that they are genuine living, genuinely living a life of faith. Um, but we can't force it on them. And I think that's so hard because, 
especially if we love them, we want to we, mm. we, we want to shake them, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. whether it's they've never made a profession of faith or maybe you're just seeing something in their life where you're wondering if it was really genuine, mm. you, you want to go, like you, you want to shake the truth into them and yeah. say like just, just do Open what's your right, eyes, right? Yeah. 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 And that's where we have to, yeah, speak the truth, live the mm. truth, but then trust God to yep. move, yeah. Mm. So um, in Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23, we read, we read maybe the most horrifying thing that could happen to somebody. And uh, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So can you give us some ways that we can examine ourselves and our faith to ensure that these are not words that we'll hear once it's too late? Right. And so, yeah, I think it is, once again, we we don't want to just be so introspective that we're living in fear mm-hmm. and we're stuck in our own lives and we can't even move forward. Yep. But we do have to examine ourselves. And 2 Corinthians 13.5 also talks about examining ourselves. And so I would say one of the first things is repentance. Mm. Repentance um, due to conviction is a sign of true belief, right? And not just repentance because I got caught in sin, but no, a a true sorrow over your grief, right? And then with repentance also comes turning from your sin, right? If you're truly repentant, you will take the necessary steps to turn away from your sin. And certainly I recognize that um, that takes time, like, I wish it was as easy as saying, I repent, I turn, and and then we're never tempted to right. sin in those ways again, right? Like, yeah. But are we willing to be held accountable? Are we willing to persevere? Are we willing to be diligent to turn from our sin? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's a sign. And then believing in Jesus Christ alone. And um, that's so important. Um, you know, the Gospel of John talks about how Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, there is no other way to Jesus, to, to God the Father than through Jesus. And we have to know the full Jesus, right? Not just the, mm-hmm. the Jesus who did miracles, but the, the Jesus who was angry at sin, the Jesus who had to be crucified on a cross and, and die for our sins. There, there was wrath um, that God bestowed on Jesus for our sin. And in that serious, we have to believe in Jesus, in who he is, in what he did, and um, what he has promised. We have to believe the full thing. And um, I think also another sign is being able to hear Jesus' voice. And I'm not talking about an audible voice here, but having spiritual ears and spiritual eyes to understand what his word says. And and then also not just hearing, but then being a doer of the word as well. And um, there's many passages of scripture that call us into obedience. And I'm not going to read them all, but if you are listening, I encourage you to look up Matthew 7, 24 and John 14 and 15. And uh, even I know there's another one in James where it talks about not just being hearers of the word, but doers doers of the word 
true faith will not just be a heart thing. It will also be evidenced by the fact that we are obedient. And part of our obedience, we see this in John 15, 12, is that we love one another as God has loved us. If we don't love one another, how can we say we love God? Mm-hmm. And so uh, we have to we have to assess ourselves in these areas. And if any of these are lacking, then I would say we want to be careful and we, we should really ask ourselves, like, do I actually believe that Jesus died for me? Have I truly put my faith in him? And and if I have, then let's make the correctives. And I already um, alluded to this earlier in uh, in the first question, but this passage of scripture also used to very much terrify me. And I became a bit obsessed with it and wondered, like, how do I really know that I am saved? And it, it um, there's a period of time where it became like an, a consuming fear of mine. I got stuck in a pattern of fear and uh, I wanted to have evidence. I wished I could just get a letter from from God <laughs> saying, you are my yeah. child, right? And um, yeah. I had to really think through that uh, because the thought of him saying, I never knew you, I thought like, wow, like what mm-hmm. if I'm so deceived and, and what if he says that to me in the end? And so I had to really think through these things. But what I, the first thing I had to do is just stop with the obsessive thinking mm. because that certainly wasn't going to help me in any way. And I searched God's word. I repented of my sins. I started living faithfully and obediently. And I truly uh, started looking to Christ and what he had done. I found so much confidence in the fact that it was his righteousness and not my own that that um, gave me access to God the Father and uh, that he had had done it all like that it was it was him and him alone and just really reflecting on that memorizing scripture and uh reminding myself of the truth because i could get very overwhelmed with my own sinfulness and and as i when i looked to myself there was absolutely nothing in my life that um gave me evidence because I, I just saw my sin so very clearly. But when I looked to Jesus and saw that he had died on the cross for my sins and that he had transferred his righteousness to me and that in my faith, if I, if, if I sin, I can always go back to him and, mm-hmm. and repent. And First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and able to cleanse us and forgive us from all unrighteousness. And it was just so freeing to know that, yeah, even as a Christian, I will sin. But the moment I go back to him and repent, he he forgives me and he cleanses me. And as I did this consistently and as I saw him, the fear stopped. And now I can look back and I can know that I'm saved. And I know his spirit is in me and I have confidence. And I cannot be shaken because I know him. I know his faithfulness. And when I'm tempted to look at my own feelings, I can turn back to him and just know that it is his righteousness and his alone. Mm-hmm. I I know the truth. I love the truth. And he helps me to live the truth. And when I feel um, conviction, he gives me the courage to repent. And so, yeah, these, these can be scary patch- passages. And there are times when we have to stop and we have to say, do I really know Jesus? Have I really repented of my sins? Have I really put my faith in him? And in the end, we just realize it's all him and it's not us. And Mm -hmm. we can live 
confidently before him. And so, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a journey. And I think as we live faithfully for him and as we know him more, our confidence grows. Certainly, uh, if we look to first John, we can see just the confidence that he wants us to have that we are his children and a reminder that his spirit will give us that confidence as we look to him. Uh, and so, yeah, it is, it is, um, it is a fact that we do need to examine ourselves. It is a fact that some will, many are deceived, but we can also know that is also a fact that those who are truly his children, as they look to him in his word, will grow in confidence as they look to him and also live faithfully for him. That confidence will, will grow and develop. And it's always a reminder, we are not saved by our own works. We are saved by his righteousness and his work on the cross for us. And so we don't have to live in fear of feeling like we are deceived, we can be confident that he is the way, the truth, and the life. It's beautiful, beautiful truth um, to sort of wrap this up. And um, it reminds me of the end of Psalm 139 that says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So we can fix our eyes on Christ and, and continue living for him in obedience. Well, we hope you have enjoyed this episode, that you've been sharpened in your faith. And if you have, we encourage you to like and share our podcast with others. Please join us next time as we continue to rebuild biblical womanhood from the foundation up. Mm-hmm.